podcast where we mainly talk about movies my name is dj and as always i'm joined by my co-host aaron how's it going man it's all right tj we've overcome some technical difficulties in the past and we're doing so once again um but we do have yeah we have two good movies to talk <laughs> yeah. about moving on to something a little more positive uh today we're going to be going over widows the uh heist ish movie and uh fantastic beasts 2 the crimes of grindelwald which is a very long title title compared to widows yeah um (laughs) dj do you care which one of these we start with we didn't really discuss it oh yeah usually we kind of figure out which one we want to tackle um no i don't really have a preference do you because i know you just saw widows like (laughs) an hour ago maybe (laughs) I just saw Widows, so yeah, so maybe since that's like still nice and warm in my mind, we'll start with Widows. Okay. So Widows, I think the the biggest appeal from like the trailer and everything is that it's got a stacked cast of people mm-hmm. in it. Just to name a few, you got Viola Davis is the, the main character. You've got Liam Neeson is in there. Uh, Elizabeth Debicki, Michelle Rodriguez. Uh, Cynthia Erivo, who we saw in Bad Times at the El Royale. Mm-hmm. Uh, Colin Farrell's in yeah. there. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya's in there. I mean, who who am I missing here? Uh, Brian Tyree Brian Henry. Tyree He's starting to blow up a yeah. little more. I think this is maybe his second or third movie this summer. He's doing a lot. Yeah, I feel like he's pretty quickly become like a name that people know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's there's a lot of people and... It's a very serious heist movie, I guess is the easiest way to put it. Well, I don't know. Like, I like how you said heist-ish, because it feels more yeah. ish than heist to me, <laughs> if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, there's very little actual heist in this movie, I think, is something we've got to get out of the way. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not centered around the action as a normal heist movie would be. It's much more centered around the drama surrounding the action. Yeah, so that being said, I think that's why it kind of fell a bit short for me, which is really, really disappointing because, I mean, we we mentioned all the cast members that we are really excited to see, but there are people who we did other people who we didn't even mention, like John Berthold's in this too, um, uh, oh gosh. for a little bit... Uh, yeah, this cast is stacked. The premise was amazing, and I think I was just wanting a heist movie, and I I don't think the drama landed for me as much as I wanted it to. And I, yeah, it's really disappointing. Interesting. Okay, because it definitely landed somewhere between, it's not quite like a summer popcorn type movie, mm-hmm. and it's also not quite I wouldn't say like an awards-ish type movie, no. but I think it does lean more that way than maybe you expected it to. Yeah, which I think makes sense why it's coming out like in November. I think that's good placement for it, honestly. Okay, interesting. Because I, I really enjoyed the movie, especially compared to something like Ocean's 8. Yeah, that's going to be the easy which comparison. Is similar. Um, yeah, it is better yeah. than Ocean's 8. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> okay, okay, good. 
I didn't think you'd go that far, but it is centered around like the women get together and they decide they're going to pull off the heist that the men could mm-hmm. do. And much better in this case than Ocean's Eight. Much more entertaining for me, at least. Yeah. So, I do you want to break down some of the plot in this one, or how do you want to approach it? Um, maybe not beat by beat, just because they play with the timeline a little bit here, and I think things can get confusing. Um, yeah. Uh, I will say, uh, just starting off because we're talking about two movies today. I think. Um, just juxtaposing the beginning of this movie to the beginning of Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. This is probably the most intense opening to a movie I've seen in a long time. Like, it was amazing. Um, we, we just were yeah, yeah, yeah. right in the middle of a heist gone wrong. And I think that's awesome. I don't think we often get that sort of perspective because oftentimes if we're watching a heist movie, it's all about leading up to uh, the like the crescendo being the heist, but you know, this we're starting at where a heist is going wrong. And I thought that was really awesome. Um, so I, I don't know. What did you think of this? Yeah. Story? And, but even before that, the opening, the opening shot is Liam Neeson, Viola Davis, just like full tongue making out, <laughs> which is just like jarring to just like from, from the black screen, yeah. <laughs> we go to that. You get about 10 solid seconds of make out. And then it cuts straight to like high action. Some of the like most action scenes in the movie and heist getting like as they're pulling away, getting shot at. And it keeps cutting back to like these romantic moments. But I, I think they did a really good job of setting up the relationships in a pretty short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause they go between you've got Mamie's and Viola Davis. I'm not going to know. I don't know their character names at all. That's fine. I think it's way safer <laughs> if we just stick with actor yeah, names in this one. Um, you get Elizabeth Debicki and John Bernthal, and John Bernthal is just instantly the John Bernthal character that we all love to mm-hmm. hate. Oh, man. He was like, uh, yeah. He was just every character that John Bernthal has ever been rolled Pretty in. Pretty much. <laughs> uh, and he was only in this movie for like five he seconds. He was doing that. He did that in Baby Driver last year, too. <laughs> 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 and he was just as frustrating man. It's like, why are you always so hateable? Yeah. What uh, movies is he filming that he can't worst. be like around for the whole thing? I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so he's in there as like this abusive... I don't know if he's husband. I think he's boyfriend. Um, You've got Michelle Rodriguez and her husband who... We find out later had a gambling problem, and they like had a, a dress store together. And then there's this like fourth woman that really like I don't know who this actress is, and her role seems really small until it isn't uh, later on in the mm-hmm. movie. But we kind of like get looks into the lives of these couples, and the husbands are all the heisters. Yeah, I thought the opening was really yeah. Cool. I think this was probably the highlight for me. I think. Like you said, it really does a great job of just establishing who these characters are without going into something cheesy like a Suicide Squad-esque. Let's look at this family dynamic and this this family dynamic and they do this, this, and that. I think the way they juxtapose like what these criminals are like outside of their you know heist um, compared to the heist. I thought that was really excellent. Yeah. So needless to say, this first heist goes terribly wrong at the end. Uh, the the getaway van blows up and we assume that everyone's mm-hmm. dead. 
Um, spoilers for Widows, everyone is not dead. <laughs> yeah, that was... <laughs> um. <laughs> so we'll, we'll get to some of the twists, but it sounds like your problem with the movie is we get the end of this heist, and then there's another hour and a half of movie before we get any more heist yeah every it felt like the movie was like starting to get somewhere that was going to be really interesting for me and then it would just like pump the brakes and kind of stop and go more into the drama and stuff and i i feel like some of that also just could have been done better i don't know i just man i wanted to like this movie more than i did (laughs) um I will say, I think one of the best performances in this movie was Daniel Kaluuya as this, like, henchman guy. Yeah, um, not a role that I was expecting to see him play. (laughs) Yes, because he's kind of become, like, this fan favorite. I mean, everyone loved him in Get Out. He was kind of a side character in Black Panther, but everyone loved him in that, Mm -hmm. too. And then in this, he's just straight up, like, thug. Yeah, he's, he's like... sadistic to a certain point you know like yes he was scary mm-hmm. and I, it's great to see that he's got that range but wow yeah yeah like i was i was yeah i think he yeah i was just very satisfied with how well he can play both sides of that i think that's really cool mm-hmm. um but yeah the scenes he was in were definitely the most graphic brutal scenes in the movie because he was basically the not hitman, but the guy that goes and kind of get does the dirty work for this politician is played by Brian Tyree. Henry. Yeah, what they really went into the political side of this. Yeah, and I think some of that I, I think I would have wanted more of that kind of the you know, that there's the one scene where uh Brian Tyree Henry he's going to talk to that pastor to try and get his um support. Um, because he has like the longest or the biggest congregation in that district. I think I would have liked to see more of the kind of like political stuff because, yeah, I I thought the scenes between him and Colin Farrell were really excellent. I thought that drama was cool. It was more of the interpersonal like family drama stuff that kind of fell flat for me. But um, what did you think of Brian Tyree Henry? Because I feel like I've been singing his praises like the past year, because I think he's like a breakout star from Atlanta. Um, so what did you think of him in this? Cause I think he had more to do than say like hotel Artemis earlier this year. Yeah. Um, so I have yet to see a glimpse. So all <laughs> these people I'm just seeing in the mm-hmm. movies. And so I don't have all of this like background hype. So I couldn't, I probably couldn't name four things that he's in. Um, so he's not a super familiar face to me yet. Mm-hmm. Like I know who he is. I think he played this role really well. It's not a role that I don't see him and think like, oh, he would play a good, like dirty politician. So I don't know if his character in Atlanta kind of like leads you to see him in that role, but I thought it was a very interesting choice. I think he played it well of like, he's kind of, he's definitely got his hands dirty, but he's not the one doing the dirty work. And so he's still kind of this menacing presence, but I don't know. I guess I didn't have a whole lot coming into it to base that on. No, that's fine. That's fine. I was just wondering what you thought, because I know I figured you, with all the movies we're watching and stuff, you probably hadn't had time to like check out Atlanta or anything. But I think it's easy for him to get typecast as kind of just a, a big thug with not a lot going on. But just watching the way he presents himself in interviews, I want to see 
him push the limit for his acting ability because I think he can bring some interesting stuff to the table. I don't necessarily think this was the role to do that, but I think it was more than he got to do. And uh, he was in White Boy Rick that came out a couple months ago. Um, and he didn't really have a lot to do. In yeah, that, so. it was it was definitely more of him than I've seen. And I guess I still kind of want more of him to see. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. You know, there's just not a whole lot of him. Because, uh, like, I think I think Daniel Kaluuya's role stands out more than his does in this. And yeah. I think that's just kind of the nature of the scenes they had. But uh, there's the scene where Brian Tyree Henry kind of goes on his own to intimidate Viola Davis. And he is, like, carrying the dog. I love the dog in this movie. Just, like... The role it played, how it was in basically every scene. Yeah, the dog was MVP. But uh, he's carrying the dog around, and then kind of when he's, like, raising his voice and yelling at her, he picks it up by the neck. And that was, like, the loudest gasp our theater mm-hmm. had was, like, this dog, like, <laughs> threatening this dog. Uh, but, I mean, he, like, he was intimidating there, so I, I thought that was his best scene. They didn't really give him a whole lot more to do outside of that. Yeah. I think the movie had a lot going on, so I wouldn't be surprised if they had more planned for him and then some of his scenes got cut. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I definitely hope he gets I think he, he's in, uh, what's the, uh, If Beale Street Could Talk? I think he's in that one. Yeah, year, he's supposed he? to be, I think, um, which I've seen trailers for and I still don't really know what's going on. Um I don't know what's going on either. It's based on some book. Yeah. I mean, I'm interested. I just, yeah, I don't know what's going on there. Cool. Um, who are some other characters we could talk about? How were you... So, Brian Tyree Henry and Daniel Kaluuya's side of it was definitely interesting. Were you anywhere near as interested in Colin Farrell and Robert Duvall's side of it? Colin Farrell, yes. Robert Duvall, no. Like, I, I just, I find... Um, I think Colin Farrell has that whole... Um, uh, he's got that whole like presentation thing out, um, kind of in the projects, and he's talking about like uh, this minority women's management initiative, and just the way that he like plays that with the reporter asking him for questions, and then the way he like explodes in the car. I, I don't know. I just like Colin Farrell, so I wanted more of that. I wasn't as interested in his drama with his dad just because I didn't really care. <laughs> but I like yeah, Colin Farrell. Yeah. I think this is. Uh, yeah, I think both movies uh, we're talking about today would be a lot better if there was more Colin Farrell in it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good uh, good teaser. Not quite ready to segue into Fantastic Beasts, but yeah, I know what you're talking about there. Okay, I'm kind of trying to look through some of the other side characters. I guess Cynthia Erivo's kind of out of the four main women. Her role is the smallest, but... I was just excited to see her after having seen Bad Times at the Old Same. So it was cool to see her again. And dude, did you see her hitting that punching bag? She is pretty swollen this She's movie. She's ripped. <laughs> and when she took off running for the bus, too, and everyone's like, oh. Yeah, she was really good. Like heckling her. But yeah, she was, yeah, she definitely, it was just a completely different look than uh, in Bad Times at the Old Royale. But yeah, I was I was really happy she was in it, and I hope she gets more roles. Um, and then, like, they didn't give her a whole lot of speaking scenes, but the the scene where she kind of confronts where she first gets uh, initiated into the group, kind of, and she's like standing up to Viola Davis. 
That was a really cool That was scene. amazing. And that is what I wanted more of. I wanted more interactions between these four women because I wanted to see the whole heist plan. I wanted to see how this was going to all go down. And where it's lacking for me is that the heist itself is kind of, it's definitely the background of the story. And that's not what I was expecting. It's, it didn't really work for me all that well. I mean, the heist generally is just breaking into a dude's house and opening his safe. There it was a very it's simple. It's very case, simple. As Liam Neeson says later. <laughs> and I yeah. kept waiting yeah, yeah, for yeah. the movie to like throw a wrench at them that they uh like that they were prepared for, but the movie hadn't showed us beforehand. And really that doesn't happen. I mean Daniel Kaluuya like steals the van at the end, but that's not really part of like the heist heist, you know? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, see, I I guess I kind of disagree because I enjoyed that it was more realistic. Like I think if you're going to go with these four women who have no experience doing any criminal activity or whatever, they're not trained to do this stuff. They're definitely not ready to do it. I don't think if they had this super complex ocean style, like we have to time this perfectly and there's all these different pieces of the puzzle and everything, like I think that's just... It wouldn't quite work in this case. No, I, I completely agree. Just because it wouldn't be believable. I completely agree. And they really lean into, like, these people should not be doing this. And it had to be simple in order for them to But it, I think it's too simple. I, I don't. I think that kind of cuts the stakes. I think it makes sense for uh, Viola Davis to be so uptight and be like, we need this, this, and that. I like how angry and upset she was the whole time. It's just like they're thrust into this situation that no one can really deal with. And I, I, I agree that I don't think it should have been, you know, Ocean's Level insanity going on, especially since there are only four people doing this heist. But I think just breaking into a house to steal something is underwhelming for me. And I I mean, it's a realistic. I just wish if you're going to have a heist, you need like planning and things and all that, like timing. And I feel like there really wasn't a need for it. I mean, they got codes for the bank and they distracted the people outside the house that and one security guard was about all they had to deal with. I don't know. I, I wanted to see them rise to a tougher occasion, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there's a balancing there. I had a point, but I lost it. <laughs> um, so we can move on to the other women, I guess. Michelle Rodriguez. She's kind of always cast as the like tough girl in Fast and Furious and then... Avatar, and trying to think of other things I've seen her in, but she's always kind of like the, oh, this girl can hang with the dudes. So I think it was an interesting choice to have her here, and then they kind of went out of their way to have her like be the one that couldn't hit the gun target at the the shooting range. And then she like wasn't quite fit enough to carry this heavy bag. They were kind of trying to like make it clear that she's not Michelle Rodriguez from the other movies where she can do anything. Yeah. I don't know. But I don't think she had as strong of a backstory. Yeah. I, I don't really know what they were doing with her character. There's that one scene where she goes to, like, that architect's house. Then they start... It was yeah, strange. Do you know, like, I, that kind of... I feel like that kind of just went over my head. I was like, am I missing something? Was she trying to seduce him? I just... Cause you, yeah, cause you, like, it seemed like she had a plan to do something there, but like, I thought like, oh, she like took something out of his pocket or right. something. But no, no, she was actually just sad and they both like needed someone. Like my theater started kind of chuckling at that Chuckling? 
People were, yeah, people were, like, it was just kind of, like, so, like, over the top. Like, these two people just crying and making out and, yeah, it was, it was strange. I don't know what they were doing there. Yeah. Elizabeth Debicki, I think she had a really strong role in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if, I don't know if you agree, but I think they gave her probably the most to do. And outside of Viola Davis, I think she got the most screen time. Yeah, I think so too. I, th- yeah, I, I thought her character was okay. I think, I don't know. I just think it's funny. Like if you're trying to plan this underground heist or whatever, that Elizabeth Debicki is like the most like conspicuous person you could have picked for that role. She's so tall. <laughs> When they're when they're all decked out in like their black gear going into the house and there's like these two kind of shorter shadows and then there's just one giant shadow mm-hmm. and it's like, Yep, there she is. <laughs> like Yeah, I just so thought that tall. was funny though. But yeah, her character definitely had like the most growth I would say or the the most uh interesting story, I think. Most Yeah, she had more of an arc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then Viola Davis is the central part. I really feel like she gets cast because of how good she is at crying sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that like, might be true. I swear every movie I see her, she's a great actress, but I swear there's a couple scenes in this movie where it's like, okay, we're just going to do a close-up on her crying. And it's like, okay, like I get, she's really good at conveying the emotions, but like, let's let her do something else. Yeah. I just really like Viola um, Davis, though. <laughs> She's really good. She's really good. And, like, she definitely makes this movie into what it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I just love how commanding she always is. And, yeah, I, I, and I think that's why I wanted more of that dynamic between her and Michelle Rodriguez, Alyssa Becky, and that sort of thing. Because, I, I don't know, I just really like Viola yeah. Davis. She she always commands a movie, and it's great. Yeah, because there's the one part where she... So they bring in... Uh, we talked about the scene where they bring in Cynthia Revo. And Viola Davis is like, you guys okay splitting your cut? And they're like, our cut? You're going to split your cut too. Mm -hmm. And then later when they were, for some reason, filling up Tupperware with dirt, which I don't understand. um, (laughs) They're all kind of there, like, making fun of her. And then she comes out and she's like, being Viola Davis, like, yelling at everyone. But I thought those were some of the fun scenes. I don't understand the Tupperware with dirt, though. I think they were trying to plan um, weight-wise, like how much, what it would feel like carrying stuff on their back. Like, um, but why Tupperware of dirt? I think that was like the easiest way to compare piles of money. Okay, I don't know. I, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, I just thought it was so because, like, like you said, this movie is very short, unlike the typical planning for the heist and like they have a blueprint but it's probably the worst blueprint a heist movie has ever seen it's like a photocopy on an eight and a half by eleven yeah uh yeah and there's just not those like oh we're prepping for the heist you don't quite know what we're like prepping for but you'll see when we do the heist like those kind of scenes mm-hmm. we really just get the cynthia revo tearing into that punching bag and then uh, Michelle Rodriguez putting on this backpack filled with Tupperwares, filled with dirt, and that's like all they needed to do. Mm-hmm. So, 
Definitely light on that. I think if you want just a classic heist movie, I think you're right. This is not the movie for you. Um, it's not even that want... though. Like I, I just wanted more of an interaction between the four people, and I guess that is more of like a typical heist. I, I don't know. I just, I get scared when you say typical heist. I feel like someone's going to interpret that to be like, oh, they wanted like Ocean's 4. And that's, no. It's <laughs> not what I want. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, I thought this movie had some really cool twists that I wasn't expecting. I don't know if those landed for you as well, but especially the the uh, dog barking at the door scene. Like, I don't know if that caught you off guard at all, but it definitely got me. Yeah, it caught me off guard. I just, I knew in the very beginning, since we didn't, hmm, the way they shot that scene made me suspicious. <laughs> yeah. But that's okay. I was like a little suspicious, but I knew it was like a women pulling off the heist movie. So I was like, ah, I guess you're dead now. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I was just more willing to go along with it. I wouldn't say I, I loved the movie, um, but I did... I guess I was more in line expecting what I got. Okay, okay. I get that. Um, I do think this will get nominated for awards. Definitely, like, supporting actress, cause, just because there's so many options to choose from. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Uh, I don't know if Viola Davis will. That would be understandable, I think, as leading actress. Uh, do you think it falls into that realm of it should be a awards movie um not to me personally i think this movie was trying to tackle a lot of options and i think by doing that it couldn't focus on anything like i mean there's parts talking about like police brutality and stuff like that and i don't know like this movie just had a little bit too much going on for me i i don't i i don't see it reaching up to like awards category for me personally yeah yeah, I wonder how that'll play, because they definitely, with the police brutality and the pol political side of it, and kind of the feminist aspects of it, they're definitely pulling in a lot of 2018, like, these are some big issues. Mm -hmm. So I just wonder if that will boost it in people's minds of, like, oh, this is a movie for this year, or if it's just a little too much going on, like you said. Yeah. I don't know. I really wanted to like this more, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little surprised that you didn't like it more. Um, but I I wasn't blown away by it. Okay, okay. Because this is one that I did have to go watch review or look at reviews for later. And I was fairly surprised that everything was so high. Because so. there were so How many... High? I, I actually haven't looked at reviews on this one i oh i'm normally the one that's seen the reviews. we can switch so. the game up then okay so okay okay you want to do our little uh guess the tomatoes game yes let me pull up rotten tomatoes because that is not something i often do <laughs> okay looking at widows okay so what is your estimate for um uh critic score and then audience score so i really think critics like this movie i think it's a movie made almost with critics in mind mm -hmm. in some parts. So I'm going to say it's 90-ish. Dang it, Aaron. Um, <laughs> did I get it? Is it's 91%. It <laughs> ah, ah, dang. Okay. Audience, 
I'm gonna say is slightly under that at like eighty six. Um, audience is actually at sixty seven percent. Oh wow! Okay, that's a lot lower than I thought it would be. I feel like that's more in line with kind of how I'm feeling about it. So now I feel slightly more vindicated. Yeah, I guess for me it was. I know having just come out of the theater and saw seeing it, the audience I was with really responded to this move. Maybe it was just because it was like a full theater and like every seat was taken, but like there were laughs. There were, it was one of those movies where I kind of come with like my theater report of the audience interacted with this movie. Well, Mm -hmm. um, and there was a lot more audience interact. Like people applauded when Viola Davis shot Liam Neeson at the end. Spoiler alert for widows. Yeah. People were like clapping. Like, and I was like, okay, that's a little much. Yeah. (laughs) But I guess that probably is why I thought audience was like super high on this one. Um, but yeah, I'd say I'd say right around seventy percent is probably where it makes the most sense for audience. Um, I'm not surprised critics like it a lot, though. Yeah, I think what I think what I want to do because everything about this movie on paper is a winner for me. All these characters, I feel like the premise is really cool. I want to watch it again, but I want to watch it just knowing that the heist is not the focus. Because I really do think that's what took away a lot of the enjoyment of the movie. I kept waiting for more like, okay, this is when we're going to start, you know, I I guess, yeah, like a generic heist. Like, here's the plan. Here's what these people are going to do. And because I kept waiting for that and didn't get it, I think that you know, stayed with me throughout the film. Maybe why I didn't enjoy it as yeah. much. So yeah. I, I really do want to give it a second try because it, this should work for me. <laughs> it's really bothering me. I've been thinking about this a lot the past, like, day. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you want another heist movie to compare it to, I would recommend Den of Thieves. I don't know if you've seen that one. No, but I've heard good things. That's definitely That's definitely just an entertaining... That's kind of the movie I've had in mind when saying like classic heist, because I think that's that's more of the audience. That's a heist movie made for the audience, whereas I think this one is made a little more for the critic side of it. Okay. Cool. Uh, yeah. So I think I think that's uh, about good on widows. Lots going on there, and lots going on in our next movie we're going to discuss. Fantastic Beast: The Crimes of Grindelwald, which is the last time I'm going to say that full title. Yeah, it's a horrible title. Yeah, let's call it Beasts 2. Okay, I'm good with that. <laughs> uh, before we dive into Beasts 2, what were, what did you think about Beast 1? Because this happened uh, pre-mainly movie, so I'm not really sure where you're standing with Fantastic Beasts. Yeah, so I think we've got to spend more time than we normally do talking about uh, where we're approaching this movie from. Because I think your experience of this movie is entirely dependent on how much of a fan you are of the Harry Potter worlds, how much you've been exposed to it, like what your knowledge is at the time you go into it, mm-hmm. I think will determine how much you enjoy the film. So I would say for me, I'm like a casual Harry Potter fan, but definitely a fan meaning I've read the books, I've seen the movies, I've been to the uh, Wizarding World of Harry Potter uh, just this past year. I enjoy it, but I'm not 
at the point where I'm like on message boards speculating about the future. I'm not super deep into the fan community or anything, but I really do enjoy the the world that's been created. Mm-hmm. Um, Didn't you just re- recently I've, reread some of the books? So yeah, so that's that's what I'm talking about with kind of where we're coming from is past couple years, my little sister is kind of just at the age where she's been reading the books. She's read the first four. And so I've kind of been able to hop in at certain points and like read some of the chapters with her. That's gotten me back into it. And kind of in preparation for this movie, there's a podcast I found, a little cross podcast promotion called Binge Mode, where they're, they went back chapter by chapter basically through all of the books and we're like dissecting it. I mean, these people are like way more, these are the like intense fans that I wouldn't quite consider myself one of, but I kind of wanted to revisit the books a little bit. So I listened to those refreshed on the books that way. And then I watched Fantastic Beasts a couple of days before seeing this movie. So I definitely prepared myself for it <laughs> and I'm absolutely glad that I did. And I think if I wasn't quite as into it in this moment as I am, I don't know what I would have thought of this movie. I don't know. We gotta we gotta shift to you though. I've I've talked quite a bit. Where where's your stance coming into Fantastic Beasts two? Yeah, so I think this is interesting because I think we talked about it on an earlier episode, but it seems like there is a uh, a assance happening right now because uh, my wife and I, Grace, we recently just, like maybe a month or two ago, just finished going through all the Harry Potter books. So I would classify myself as like an above average Harry Potter fan because I feel like there are some serious like HP fans out there, Potterheads, I think they're called. And I mean, I'm a pretty big fan, but I don't know if I would necessarily fall in that category. But we uh, went through the audiobooks for all seven of them because we recently just moved. Well, I say recently, it was months ago now. Um, but because the commute was a little longer, we were looking for audiobooks and we found a podcast called Potterless. I think I've talked about it before. And he talked about going through the Harry Potter yeah. series and it reminded me that Grace had never actually read all the Harry Potter books. So I felt like that was kind of a good time to do that. So about a month ago, we finished all seven books, uh, watched all eight movies. Uh, well, I guess nine, including Fantastic Beasts because I watched that maybe like a week or two ago in preparation for Fantastic Beasts 2. Um, so yeah, I was definitely like immersed in Harry Potter Wizarding World stuff uh, for the better part of this year, actually. So I think it's interesting that both of us are coming at this from, you know, fresh Harry Potter eyes, I would say. Um, yep, and we did it all for you, the listener. Did we, though? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um I will say I do own a wand. I think you said you do not. I do not. So if we need a tiebreaker of who's the best Harry Potter fan. Well, I I do have to ask the question, though. Have you gotten onto Pottermore? And if so, what is your house? Okay, so this is is a good measure of how much of a Harry Potter fan I am. I know my Hogwarts house would be Ravenclaw. I don't know... I don't think I could name the... American house off the top of my head or the houses in it and I don't know which one I am because I've never done that yeah that's fine <laughs> like I'm not I'm not that deep into it where I know all of the uh, 
the different schools and all the countries. Like, I haven't spent a whole lot of time on Pottermore. Yeah, I basically just took, like, my Hogwarts house and then my Patronus, and then I was like, yeah, I don't really care about the American houses. Like, I, I haven't read seven books talking about the American houses, so I'm not as invested. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But, okay, so so we both have similar perspectives, and I wonder if we had the same opinion of the movie then, because I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. Hmm. Well, I think this might be my least favorite Harry Potter movie, and I kind of borderline wow. hated it. okay. <laughs> okay, okay, and that's that's entirely fair, and I am very excited to discuss it with you. How could we be so opposite if we were both just like I'm? That's so interesting to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay, and I will say I I will upfront admit I think I am already in the minority. I have seen reviews of this movie. They are not good. People did not like this. Both the casual observer that had no idea what was going on in this movie. And the intense fan that was very displeased with the direction the movie went. I thought I was in kind of this sweet spot where I was like, I enjoy the Harry Potter world, but I'm not so uptight that if they like cross over some established canon thing that I'm going to hate it forever. And it's I'm going to claim that it's not part of the official canon and whatever. Mm -hmm. I thought I was in the sweet spot, but we just determined that we're both in the same amount of Potter fandom, and we both thought very differently of this movie. Yeah, so I agree. I also thought I was in the sweet spot. I was like, yeah, I'm a fan, but I'm not going to be, you know, angry if they change some things around, whatever. Um, but yeah, I just really did not like this movie. <laughs> what? Okay, we, we got to discuss what you didn't like, because we definitely cannot go through the entire movie, because there is just so much going on. And as soon as I was done with the movie, I was like, man... That was just a lot of stuff to absorb in a movie. I mean, it's over two hours long, and I think it's the most attention I had to pay to a movie in a long time just to kind of try to catch all of these different plots that are mingling together, and they're simultaneously dropping Easter eggs, and they're doing all these different things. But like it it took quite a bit out of me just watching it, but I kind of enjoyed the ride. Um, Was it... Was it things that didn't match up with your, like, Harry Potter expectations, or was it the quality of the movie itself, if that makes sense? It was definitely the quality of the movie, because, yeah, I I saw reviews for, like, the first Fantastic Beasts, and people were being nitpicky about, why didn't he just use this magic thing and this magic thing? And at that point, if that's your argument, I mean, like, that's your prerogative, but you're no fun. So (laughs) that is not the issue I had with the movie, but... Just from, like, a filmmaking perspective, like, the first scene of this movie, this opening scene, I thought it was horrible. It was so dark. It was so poorly lit. Everything was so fast. I did not know what was going on. And it kind of just set the tone for the rest of the movie. And that's what I meant kind of juxtaposing this versus, like, the Widow's opening, where I was really invested in the very beginning of Widow's. But here, I didn't know what was happening, and I quickly just didn't care. Yeah, okay. So I agree with the opening scene where uh, there's kind of this flying carriage and you've got the part that was terrible to me was that they did it in a rain like a thunderstorm if they had removed that it would have been if it was just like a cloudy day kind of it would have been fine but it was we kept getting these strobes of lightning and it was really dark and then it would flash flash super bright 
I think the lighting of it just kind of discombobulated you, and then there's all these things you're supposed to be paying attention to, because it's like a very important scene in the movie. Yeah, I, I can see that. I was still invested after that scene, I guess, because I was trying to figure out what had just happened, and sounds like you were too, but I was like hoping they would explain it. Yeah. I don't know if they did, I guess. Yeah. Um, I guess they spent too much of their CGI money on that blue fire at the very end. <laughs> there was so much. You're right, you're right. There was a lot of CGI in that last scene. Um, okay, but I have to... What happened in this first scene as far as... You've got this Abernathy sidekick character. And you've got Grindelwald, who's been in prison. And this is kind of him escaping from prison. And so Abernathy appears on the bottom of this uh, carriage and swaps. So, were they both the other person? Is that what we're supposed to... Like, was it Polyjuice Potion there? I suppose so. Then, I, I, Yeah, I guess so. And also, in the very beginning, like, the so American president mean, says, we took out his tongue? Why? I don't know, but then, after they, like, switch places, uh, Grindelwald gives Abernathy, like, a forked tongue or something, it looked like. <sighs> and so I was just, so was Abernathy the one in the prison the whole time? I don't think so. I, this is a mess, man. I, <laughs> I just, I don't know. So this was, I mean, this was a... I don't want to go into this level of detail with every scene in the movie, but this was this was one of the ones that bothered me the most because I think I've pieced together the events that actually took place. I just don't understand what those events meant. Yeah. Because if it if they were the other person and Grindelwald was never in the prison, why did he have to break Abernathy out? I don't know. And what was that small little creature? I don't know. He, like, he punks out it out the window. the window, and we never see it again. What was its purpose? Because it was like in the in the cell within. I don't know. Yeah. First scene was very confusing. You're you're definitely right there. First scene was not very strong. Um, <laughs> you might convince me this is a terrible movie, but by the time we're done talking about it, DJ, I don't want to do that. I just I felt so messy to me. It felt like. It felt like whenever the original Harry Potter movies were coming out, there would always be critics that would be like, there's not enough info here. I don't know why this person did this. And being a person who had read the books, I'd be like, okay, I get that. But I read the book, so I don't really care. This movie kind of felt like the opposite. It felt like there was so much going on that you couldn't figure out what was going on rather than too little information to figure out what was going on. Yeah, it seemed like they were in a rush to get all this information in there to build this story. Um... And some parts of the end were definitely not sad. I thought the whole family tree Lestrange thing was concluded in a very strange way. They, like, didn't drop enough breadcrumbs for you, almost, for you to, like, follow this thing. And then they're like, oh, here's how it all comes together. And it's like, well, okay, I guess. Yeah. I'm trying to think of things that I, I enjoyed about this movie. I thought the beast scenes are fun. Uh, when Newt goes into his kind of like underground zoo or whatever he has down there, um, yeah, that's that's fine. But the the beasts don't play a huge role in this. I thought the the giant lion thing, and then when they take out the little uh, fuzzy toy for it, I thought those were fun scenes. Yeah, those are fun. Uh, it this movie is in, or this franchise, I will say, is increasingly starting to 
beg the question, why do we have Fantastic Beasts in the title, though? I don't know. And so I told you a little bit earlier that this is movie two in what has been announced as a five-movie franchise. This was announced a while ago, and I think we both just became aware of it. That is... And so with that is book wild to me. <laughs> with that, yes, with that knowledge in mind, it seems like this movie was way too rushed for having three movies to come after it. Like it seems like they tried to cram a lot in this movie. So I just don't know what else they're trying to get to. Why are we in a rush? I don't understand. I don't know. I don't know. Can, okay, can we talk about Credence? Yes. Okay, so in the first movie, and I didn't really love the first movie either. I thought it was just fine. Um, all right, I'm talking about the first Fantastic Beast, that is. But in this first Fantastic Beast, Grindelwald is obsessed with getting this obscurial thing. Okay, that's fine. Whatever. Yes. But all those ores seemingly take down this supposedly super powerful thing. So I was like, I don't really understand what the big hubbub was about if all these regular people working together can take it down. And then he's just back in this movie? I, why? Yeah, I don't... Why are we spending another know, Fantastic Beast movie focused on Credence? I don't understand. And I mean, I, I like mean, Ezra Miller okay, central, but... He's going to be even more central moving forward. And so I saw this with my brother, and he kind of had the same point of, he's like, why are we so focused on Credence? Like... I don't know. And so there's there's the big reveal at the end, which we have to discuss, which Grindelwald tells Credence that he's actually Dumbledore's brother. I forget what name he gives him, which shows how much of a fan I am. But um, a lot of like fan reactions are to that moment. But it basically guarantees that at least another movie in this five-movie series is going to be centered on Credence. <sighs> Which seems, it does seem strange, because even this movie is like the crimes of Grindelwald. And, like, he does do some bad stuff, but it seems like he's just as, like, important and powerful as Credence. Like, they're kind of on the same level of the amount of attention they get in this movie. Um, I don't understand why he was at... So you said, like, they defeated him at the end of the first movie. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if there's, like, a line there or something that I missed, but... Now he's like hiding out at a like a freak show magical circus. Yep, it happens in and, uh, the second scene after the horribly lit first scene, where uh, they're trying to recruit yes. Newt as an or, which makes sense because if you see him later as a detective, he's awesome uh, for yeah. whatever reason. And they're just and he was like, yeah. "Oh, Credence died," and they're just like, "No, he survived." What? How? Why? Why are we doing this again, movie? Why? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and so I don't really understand why he was at this uh, circus, like, hiding, but also trying to find his relatives, but also people are looking for him. It seems like he's only here so that we can get introduced to Nagini as a person. Why is, why, 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 J.K. Rowling, why, why is... Nagini in this movie. <laughs> she doesn't do anything. Yeah, so, okay. This kind of brings me to a comparison I wanted to make of two of the largest fandoms we have in pop culture are Harry Potter and Star Wars. And it did feel like this movie is starting to get into 
Star Wars-ish territory of sequels and prequels and stories for things that people never wanted a story for. And maybe there is someone out there that was really excited to have a Nagini backstory, but I don't think there was anything to necessitate that. Um, yeah, I think this is a new thing that she was originally a person. I, I, I'm pretty sure that that yeah, was not I, included I in the books so. at all. I think so. Uh, but so it would have been one thing if it was just kind of like a like a cameo kind of throwaway thing of like, oh, this girl turns into a snake, she's Nagini, and then we don't see her again. But she just kind of sticks around the rest of this movie and and does nothing. Doesn't really doesn't really say anything. She is um, simply there so that Credence is not alone the entire movie. You're kind of right there. And she was at this uh, freak show. If you're going to have a freak show in the wizarding world, you're going to need to do better than a person that can turn into a snake. They're, um, what are they yeah, called? Animagic things. People can turn into animals. Yeah. I don't, like... <sighs> yeah. They had some freaky things hiding out backstage, so maybe she was just, like, the warm-up. Yeah, I don't understand, but she's obviously going to be, like, part of the crew for the next movie. But why? Like, I mean, she's on the bridge at the know. last show, I and I was just like, why is she there? What has she contributed? That one... That one confused me. I don't understand why she's there. Yeah, like, if you want to add a Nagini as a person, that's cool. Just give her something to do. Let's see. I I do like uh, Jacob. What's the... Dan Fogler. His character. Oh, yeah. Um, as, like, the nomad muggle guy. Yeah, he was by far I the think... highlight of the first movie for me. He he was amazing. Um, but then again, at this yeah, movie, and I think when he shows really up, I'm like, yo, role. hey, Jacob. And then it just takes a quick dive down because he's been bewitched to come here. And then somehow she gets mad at him. What are we doing? <laughs> I actually, I was okay with this part. I was okay with the uh, Queenie Jacob story side of it. But once we got to the end, it did seem like this entire plot was just so they had a reason for Queenie to go to Grindelwald's side at the end. Which I still don't really um, understand fully. I mean, she's... One of the things I thought was a better part of this movie was that I thought Grindelwald's argument kind of at the end was more convincing of an argument than a lot of villains have. Of he's saying, hey, let's prevent all these terrible things from happening. We should take the responsibility since we have this power like for the greater good or whatever. I... I think that was a solid argument, but then he, like, quickly just, like, kills a bunch of people and sets a blue ring of fire around his stage, which establishes him as a villain. It's like, he can't see that and think, oh, maybe he's the good guy here. Yeah, he had me until he was, like, vaping World War Two, and then I was like, what are we doing? I Well... I, I I just didn't understand that device and how it was being used. I I feel like his argument was, was fine. Was I feel like he didn't need humans. That. Humans will go to this without the wizards, right? Yeah, I, I get that. I think it was just it, that was a little silly for me. But yeah, I, I do agree with what you're saying. I think his message and the way he was presenting it, I think that was effective in establishing, you know, where he was coming from, why there is this difference between him and Dumbledore. Yeah, and obviously it's going to be him versus Dumbledore kind of moving on and kind of moving towards, I'm sure we'll have the final 
duel. I, it has a name already. Like, this is already established canon that they had some duel at some point. But I, I just wish we were already at that point where it's centered around those two. And instead, we still have this Credence, uh, possibly brother of Dumbledore. I don't know if I believe that he actually is. I'm going to say no. Um, why? I, I still don't understand why this insistence that Credence is the only way to beat Dumbledore. Um, it seems strange to me. Well, I think it's part of some prophecy, right? They hinted at this prophecy, but they didn't really give it to you. So I... The reason I completely understand someone not liking this movie, other than all of the reasons that you've already laid out that I agree with, um, is that it's definitely a a point A to a point B movie. We're trying to get you from somewhere to this next point. Mm-hmm. Like, it really should be... <laughs> it would almost work better as, like, a movie or a TV series... Where it's like, this is just kind of an ep, like, this is episode two of the series. Mm. If this was just episode two of a TV series, like, people wouldn't be expecting this, like, complete story. It's just kind of like the next step, and we'll eventually get to the season finale or whatever. Yeah. But as a movie, it just kind of felt strange, because they're trying to move all these different plots along and introduce all these different things, but also have this, like, contained movie arc of like Credence trying to find his family and yeah I I understand that if if you see it as like a a means to get to an end I think hopefully once this five movie series is complete this one won't look as complex because you'll see where all these story ends are leading mm-hmm. and I guess that's what I kind of still have hope in I don't know. I don't know if I've made any convincing arguments for this movie. I don't feel like I've established enough reasons for why anyone should like this movie. I do enjoy just, like, the wizarding world and just being a part of it, I think. Yeah, and that that's makes complete just sense. That's an enjoyable thing. Because I think there are some yeah. fun moments in here. You know, um, I think Newt's detective scene, like, where he's figuring out where uh, what's-her-face yeah. I thought that was really cool. Um, it was a lot of magic I hadn't seen before, but yep. that's fine. Like, introduce me to new magic. I I don't need to see all the spells that Harry was doing, you know, years ago. Show me some new stuff. Show me new creatures. Yeah. I think all of that's interesting. Yeah, and then like going going back to Hogwarts was like super cool because it's like returning back to the castle and like Dumbledore's teaching Defense Against the Dark Arts, which is super cool. And I feel like he was the Transfiguration teacher though. <laughs> You think, like, he should have been? Like, his character makes more sense? No, I think, like, in the books, I think, canon-wise, I think he was Transfiguration teacher. Oh, was he? I'm pretty sure, but if I'm wrong, I'm going to get yelled at on the internet. they told him he can't... They told him he can't be a defense against the Dark Arts at, like, in this movie, so maybe he went to Transfiguration after that. Uh, maybe. I mean, that was a fun scene, though, um... I mean, yeah. there are some. I thought Jude Law was great. Yeah, yeah. I just wish that uh, there was more Jude Law. I thought it was weird that he was wearing a suit the whole time. Be. I don't know why. <laughs> it just stuck out when everyone else was in robes. <laughs> you wanted him to be wearing wizarding robes. Yeah. yeah. Let's see. I thought French Ministry of Magic was kind of cool. Uh, the whole like go into this like statue thing, and you're suddenly in this like wizarding half of France or whatever. Yeah. I didn't really understand Grindelwald did his, like, calling card 
to like summon all his followers, and there was a giant like black sheep that went all over the city. I was really confused as to what was happening there. Yeah, I don't get that. Like, obviously everyone couldn't see that. Somehow only wizards could see it. Mm-hmm. And like, if you touched it, it did something. I don't know. I don't know what was going on there. We did get Nicholas Flamel. Why? I, but that's, I knew, I knew that's exactly what you say, and I have no, I have no counterpoint other than, like, again, if it was just a cameo, that'd be fine, but they, like, didn't seem sure whether he should be involved in the plot or not. He had some reason why he had to come to this final CGI dragon fire battle, and it was just to tell everyone that they needed to stick their wands in the ground, which seems like they probably would have figured that out on their own anyway. Yeah, I feel like this movie did struggle a little bit from a uh, ooh memberberry type of thing where they'll throw out a name and just expect people to cheer. Um, like even at the yeah. Hogwarts scene, they do that when um, I think uh, Dumbledore calls out McClagan, which is the father of, or I think the father, related to somebody who shows up in like a... a sixth book slash movie ah yeah pretty much every name has someone attached to it yeah yeah i didn't quite understand so there's the whole like lestrange credence family tree thing i don't get this at all there's this guy there's this guy the one with the parasite in his eye yeah don't know his name at all but i did not understand his storyline and that's what I was kind of saying was they didn't really give us enough breadcrumbs there. I saw someone say they should have like shown us the baby swapping scene at the beginning sometime to kind of like do a bookend thing where it's like it doesn't make sense now, but then you like see how it makes sense at the end. I mean, maybe. Because I still don't understand this guy's place. Apparently he made an unbreakable vow to kill who he thought was Credence, but that person is already dead because Lita, like, changed out the babies. I don't know, man. Uh, This is supposed to be, like, part of the climax of the movie, and it's just a mess. Yeah, I thought that that part definitely fell flat, was the the Lestrange storyline. And, like, obviously Lestrange, you connect to Bellatrix, but they give no hint of, like, where she's going to come from in this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And, like, Lita, for some reason, decides to join Grindelwald. Not quite sure why. No, I thought she and not... got consumed by fire to, like, let the other guys get away. Oh, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. She did stay behind. I already forgot what happened in the movie. But I couldn't, like, I didn't know why she was with Newt's brother when she clearly, like, had a thing for Newt. Yeah, I couldn't tell at the very end if she was saying, I love you to Newt. Or his brother. And yeah, that's I, not that was, okay that to say that to his brother. Yeah, I get it. But, like, choose. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. 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 Um, um, I thought the... <laughs> I think Newt had a lot of the best scenes. In the, Newt and Dumbledore are definitely the highlights for me. Mm-hmm. Well, Newt, Dumbledore, and Jacob. I like all of those characters. Yeah, I like Newt. Uh, I wish I wish Jacob and Queenie would have been together more because I really like their dichotomy. Um, I didn't really care for their yeah. plot line going on, especially because she's supposed to be able to read minds. So it feels strange that she was like taken to whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's just a lot. Like we've been so scrambled on this one, and I think that speaks to the movie. Yeah, there's 
it's very hard to approach just because there's so much going on. Um, but I do think there were parts of it that I just really enjoyed that are kind of just the, the wizard parts of it that are magical and make you kind of wish that you could be, I don't know, is it, having been to the wizarding world this year, it kind of brought me back to that and like what that experience was. And mm-hmm. it, it just made me happy, I guess, even though I completely acknowledged that the story was challenging and they had some strange explanations for things and made some very interesting choices, but like I'm, I'm still on board with it. Yeah. I mean, I'm on board as much to say, like, I know I'm going to be excited to see the next one because I just like the wizarding world. Uh, and I feel like, and I feel like whenever there were critiques of like the original Harry Potter movies, I'd be like, I'd, I'd be like, Oh, that's okay. But, even though they skirt over some details that are in the books, whatever, like I felt like this was like a supplementary sort of um, uh, story. And I still found enjoyment out of those. And I just didn't feel that same way uh, this time, which is kind of a shame. Yeah. Yeah. And I like the, the Harry Potter movies. I feel like I'm a very harsh critic of anything that has source material. Mm especially when I'm familiar with the source material and I go out of my way a lot of times to familiarize myself with the source material and then end up not liking the movie. Um, so I feel like with these Fantastic Beast movies, I just enjoy the freedom of, like, they can make whatever decision they want and as long as they're not crossing back over things that they've already said in the first seven books, which they still manage to maybe do in this movie... Um, it just seems like they have a lot more ways they could go with it. They're not as tied down. And I, I think I enjoy that, that part of it, but I think that can also kind of be scary because you don't know what they're trying to do and you don't know what to expect. And the story doesn't make as much sense as something that you've already written an entire book for. Yeah. I think it's interesting how, like you said, they have the ability to kind of do what they want in this universe to some extent. And yet the product, to me at least, felt very much like it was on rails to get from one point to another. Yeah, and that's, I just, I feel like we have to get the complete picture of the series, or definitely at least the next movie, to see what they were to, like, they obviously got to a point they wanted to get to with Creedence as the supposed brother of Albus Dumbledore, with Grindelwald kind of raising his army of people. And you've kind of got these two sides established. So that's obviously what they were trying to do here. I just want to see what they do with it. Yeah, I mean, I'm on board. It's Harry Potter, and I like the Wizarding World, so I'm still on board. But, yeah, this wasn't this wasn't for me. Well, you speak for a lot of people, and I feel like this is the hardest job I've had of trying to defend a movie so far, because there's just not a whole lot I can say in its favorite, but... <laughs> Yeah, I I had a good time watching it, and I think anyone that is at least as into the Harry Potter world as we are probably already has seen it, but if they haven't, they definitely should. But definitely, if you're just a very casual, have a surface-level knowledge of Harry Potter, this is not going to be a movie for you. Yeah, no, I don't think so. There'll be a lot of times where they're just like, ooh, this character is someone who's been mentioned in the past, and if that's not something you're familiar with, I think you kind of miss some of the 
excitement there. Um, yeah. Man, I feel like I've been really negative about both movies this time. <laughs> hey, I was there for a good chunk of the fall, so... <laughs> Glad we can switch roles for a bit. I... Yeah, I enjoyed both of these movies. I said I enjoyed them going into this, and you were very hesitant, and so... Glad we had some opposing perspectives on a couple of these. Yeah. It's just funny because I feel like these are both movies that I was really excited to see, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Because I didn't love the first Fantastic Beast, but I was like, whatever. It's the Wizarding World, and I just like that. Um, yeah, so that's okay. Uh, we've got more movies to come, so can't get held up by these. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Um and there's quite a few of them coming out over Thanksgiving week. I don't know if we've quite set in stone what we're doing next. I think Creed 2 will definitely be on there. They showed the trailer for that before Widows and It Got Me Hype. Yeah, I, I don't know. What else are we going to see? I'm per- currently in the process of buying tickets for Creed 2 because my parents are going to be in town. And I Creed, the first Creed is one of the rare movies that my dad went to theaters to go see, so... I'm going to force him to go I see Creed Two. <laughs> <laughs> His first sequel, maybe it might be. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Uh, and I know when we first talked about it, you were not really feeling Ralph breaks the internet. So I don't know if your opinion has changed. I, I will. <laughs> I, it has not. <laughs> <laughs> I am still not really feeling Ralph breaks the internet. If. Uh, if you want to see that one and bring a report back to me, that would be my preferred way of experiencing Ralph 2, Ralph Breaks the Internet. That's fine. I, it's just Ralph Breaks the Internet, right? It had a longer title and they shortened it. It did. Okay. It was Wreck-It Ralph 2, Ralph Breaks the Internet. All right, that's horrible. Which is, yeah, that's about as bad as Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. <laughs> um, but... Okay, well, uh, yeah, we can talk about Creed 2, but I will see Ralph Breaks the Internet. <laughs> okay, okay, you're going to see that one. There's a chance maybe my little sister convinces me we've got to see that one. I don't know. Um, I also want to see Green Book. I'm not sure if we'll get to that one next time or not. Yeah, it's only coming out or expanding to a thousand theaters, so with the holidays and stuff, I might have to yeah, prioritize so Creed 2 Ralph Breaks the Internet, but... Yeah. That's okay because it looks like the week after that we'll have room to catch up on stuff if we if we need to. Cool. And I'm gonna assume you're not gunning to go see the new Robin Hood movie. I don't know why, but I feel like and maybe it's just because I like Jamie Foxx and Taron Egerton, I feel like maybe it's not gonna be horrible, but I know I know I'm probably wrong. <laughs> it's gonna be so bad, DJ. It looks terrible. I don't know, maybe <laughs> Well, okay, it looks almost exactly like King Arthur Legends of the Sword or whatever. I think it looks better than that, but I think it's only because of Jamie Foxx. Okay. I I don't know. I'm probably wrong. Yeah, I think it looks very similar, and that movie, if you have not seen it, was bad. I did not see it, and I had no desire to. I'm probably not going to see Robin Hood in theaters. (sighs) Yeah. I don't know. I just, I want it to be better than I know it's going to be. <laughs> yeah, and you, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Um, but it sounds like we for sure have Creed 2 for next week. Uh, DJ, we do have to mention we've got 
a special treat coming before we release our next episode. I don't know if, how much of a teaser you want to give it, um, uh, but we have some special new content. Yeah, I mean, I guess this can be our like informal announcement. <laughs> yeah, so we are uh, we will still be reviewing movies as they come out, like we have been doing, but we're also revisiting probably our favorite movies. I think it's safe to say, which is the MCU, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, I feel pretty comfortable saying Infinity War was one of our best podcasts. Yeah, I uh, think so, and so. We're already very excited for Infinity War 2, Avengers 4, whatever the name of it's going to be. Uh, so we are revisiting all of the movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There are 22, I believe, currently. Oh, boy. <laughs> and there will be 23 with Captain Marvel. Oh, man. I might be one off on those numbers, but we're going to talk about them all. Yes, not just talk about. We are going through and rewatching all of these. <laughs> yeah, we're not just recalling from memory. We actually watch these movies. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're going to be watching twenty-two to twenty-three more movies in addition to the ridiculous amount of movies we already watch. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, but we're doing it one one movie at a time, starting all the way back in two thousand eight with Iron Man. Uh, and that episode will be dropping, I think we're going to do it on Black Friday. Yeah, yeah. So if you're out there, you know, fighting other people at Walmart for a big screen TV. Uh, no one does that anymore, though. Do they not? Oh. They just click on their computers, right? Or Oh, well, even better. You'll be even closer <laughs> to a device that can play <laughs> mainly Marvel, a series brought to you by Mainly Movies. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it'll be on the same podcast feed. We're not doing a different feed or anything. But if uh, you're a regular listener out there and you see this episode pop up and you're like, Iron Man, that didn't come out this week. Uh, it's because we're doing a new thing. Uh, and we hope you like it. Yeah, uh, please, if you do, feel free to shoot us an email at mainlymoviespod at gmail.com or head over to our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash mainlymovies. Um, it's going to be a lot of work going through all these uh, MCU movies, so show us some love on iTunes as well. <laughs> that would be appreciated. Yeah, but it, at least we know we like these movies, you know, DJ? I, yeah, but, like, that's a lot of movies to go through. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is, but it's better than if we had to go through 23 Fantastic Beasts movies. <laughs> I guess that's true. I guess that's true.